Welcome to this series of podcasts on the Apostle Paul. I have been intimately connected with the writings of Paul since I began working on my PhD dissertation, which was many years ago. <laughs> the dissertation was prompted by my curiosity of Galatians 4.24, where Paul says, this is allegorically speaking. Now, what follows in Galatians has been used by many theologians, preachers, and pastors to claim that Jews are not saved unless they believe in Jesus the Messiah. Now, this didn't make sense to me because God calls the people of Israel his children. He, he declares them his firstborn son. He says in Deuteronomy, he's their father. It just didn't make any sense to me. And that curiosity led me into what turned out to be a very lengthy period of time. I don't know how long I researched it uh, to understand what Paul was doing when he said that he was allegorically speaking. Since my dissertation, I have become more and more interested in Pauline passages. I'm drawn into the ones that are controversial and have stimulated numerous possible interpretations because I have learned from beginning with my work on my dissertation that we can't take a lot of what Paul says literally. So this is going to be the first of many podcasts that I plan to do on Paul and his writings in the New Testament. In this first podcast, I want to begin by showing you that the writings of Paul are often hard to understand. The problem began way back in the first century with the disciples of Jesus, because we read in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 16, Peter says, Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him. Now, that wisdom would have been given him by his Lord Yeshua, who was speaking for God the Father. So, according to the wisdom given by Jesus, his Lord, Paul wrote to you in all his letters, speaking of things which are hard to understand. Now, at this point, I've got to address whether I say Jesus or Yeshua. You can use either name you want. It doesn't matter. And I think I'm going to continue by using his Hebrew name, Yeshua, because I'm so steeped in the Hebrew scriptures. Now, Peter goes on to explain in this verse I was just reading the consequences of failing to understand what Paul is telling us. Now, listen very carefully, because if you fail to understand that the verse continues about these things which are hard to understand, which we read in Peter, the untaught and unstable distort. And I tell you, folks, that is happening today. And then the verse continues, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. If you or I fail to commit to the time and work that it will take to understand Paul's writings, with what we have just been told, we're going to have very serious consequences. Perhaps the same thing is happening in your understanding, not only of Paul, but in other parts of Scripture. That's, that's what we just read, that the untaught and unstable distort not only Paul, but they distort the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. Where do we get our thoughts and conclusions about Scripture, and in particular about Paul? Well, 
Christianity has developed what it calls theology. Now, theology comes from two Greek words, theos, logos, which means the study of God. However, the term theology has come to mean doctrinal interpretation that we are expected to believe. Now, let me explain this. Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary in Massachusetts, um, with which I'm, I'm quite familiar because I often spend time in a family cottage on too far from where Gordon Conwell is located, and I use their library for my research, so I'm very familiar with them. Uh, they have taken it upon themselves every 10 years to do a survey of how many Christian denominations there are in the world. The most recent was in 2019, when they concluded that there were 45,000 different Christian denominations throughout the world. Each denomination has its own doctrinal interpretation. They say, to belong to us, you have to believe this. And if you don't believe this, then go away. Maybe you can find another church that you're more comfortable with, that their doctrine says such and such. What have you been taught? I mean, what, what is your understanding? It comes from what you've heard, what you've read. Has it come from a serious investigation of Scripture? When you're working with Paul, you have to understand how to get into the depth of meaning that Paul intends us to see, not just that somebody says, oh, this is what Paul means. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to just give you some verses that that are examples of what causes the problem, okay? So we have in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, that sounds really simple, but you have to stop and ask yourself, who are those who are in Christ Jesus? This is a phrase that Paul uses. He talks about, you know, there's Christ in you, which is the gift of eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit that you have the ability to use if you feel like it. But to be in Christ is, is another phrase that he uses, which means that it's as if you are walking as Yeshua walked. You're walking as, speaking as if he spoke. How many Christians do you know who are in Christ Jesus doing, speaking, acting, talking like he did? I would say it's a fairly small percentage. So we go back to the verse, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means there is condemnation for Christians who are not walking, talking, speaking, acting like their Lord Yeshua. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand that. They they just read this thing, ah, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And they say, ah, that's all Christians. Wrong. It is not all Christians. Now, here's another one. Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through seven. They are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Neither are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. Now this is used as an interpretation which is anti-Semitic. It says that, oh, you know, Jews aren't saved. You know, they're not God's children until and unless they believe in Yeshua. That's that's but that's not what it means at all. <laughs> Another one is Romans 11.25. Paul says, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. All Israel will be saved. There are some theologies that say that the Christians are the true Israel. Jews are not the true Israel. Christians are the true Israel because they're the ones that are going to be saved, not the Jews. Oh, unless the Jews believe in Yeshua, of course. 
And then in Galatians 3.13, we read, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, I have shown in my book in Galatians, which you're happy to, to get from Amazon if you want, that you can't take this literally. It's a form of Midrash. Now, I'm going to get into Midrash on, on, on later podcasts. But for right now, the law is not a curse. That's not what Paul is saying. He's using a method of Midrash to do something else, to tell you something else. Now, we'll get into this in a later podcast. But for now, I just want to tell you that you can't take it literally. The law is not a curse. In I'm going to do one more in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. And then it gives this huge long list, which is a form of what's called hyperbole, which is extreme exaggeration to make a point. And it lists all these sins. And I'm going to read a few. And if you tell me that you have none of these sins, I'm going to tell you you're a liar. Because we are all sinners. And we all are susceptible to doing at least some of these things. All right? sexual immorality. Now, here's one. It's impurity simply means unclean. Unclean means that you have no sin in your life. <sighs> and there's none of us that have no sin in our lives. I mean, I, I can tell you that 100% certainty. Enmities, which is hostility toward groups of people. Strife is anything that divides. We just read there are 45,000 Christian denominations in the world. Is there division among Christians? Absolutely. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes. Now, dissensions, let me stop on that. Dissensions means separating. Again, we're separating into 45,000 Christian denominations. A faction is to say my way is right. Well, 45,000 Christian denominations and what's happening in our country right now is, is people are angry because they're saying we are right and we want the country to be this way. We want it because we are right. And then it goes on, you know, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. In other words, these are not the only sins. These are just examples to say that we are all sinners. And then it goes on to say, those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. How do you understand that? If you're a sinner, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. That means you're not saved. How do you understand that? I'm going to take you to what drew me into my PhD dissertation, which is Galatians 4.24, I think it is, where Paul says, I speak these things allegorically. After that, this is what I was curious. I mean, I, I always tell people, be like, be like curious George, for heaven's sakes. You know, don't just take everything that you hear. Don't take everything you read, especially when you're reading Paul. Be curious. Let your curiosity draw you in. Paul is speaking allegorically. And then he goes on to say that we should cast out the bondwoman and her son. Now, this is Hagar and Yishmael. He has just associated Hagar and Yishmael with Jews. And he says, for the son of the bondwoman... That's Ishmael, from whom the Jews are descended. That's what Paul just said. Shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. So the, the children of the free woman are, are believers in Christ. This is a lie because Jews are not descended from Hagar. Gentiles are descended from Hagar. Jews are descended from Sarah, where Paul just said, 
Gentile believers in Christ are descended from Sarah. It's not correct, all right? And it's, it's startling. I had to ask myself, Paul says, I speak these things allegorically. What in heaven's name is he doing? Because he's got all these weird things he's talking about. The allegory that I'm familiar with is a Greek allegory like the tortoise and the hare. Remember, it's a fictional story with a moral message. You know, the hare is, ah, he's so proud. He can win the race because he's fast. And the tortoise is slow, but the tortoise is methodical, never stops, never stops. And the tortoise eventually wins. It's a fictional story with a moral message. I would say most, I won't say all, but almost all theologians think of this allegory as a Greek allegory. It's a fictional story with a moral message. What's the moral message? You know, we've got to believe to be saved or something like that. I don't know. I did a lot of research. I mean, it took a lot of work on my part to answer this question. What is Paul talking about when he says, I speak these things allegorically? I found an, a Jewish author, Arthur Feldman, who notes the use, and, and this really opened my eyes, the use of allegory in the first century AD because of references to Dorshe Reshumot. Now, that's a, that's a Hebrew term. They were a group of rabbinic teachers who interpreted the law allegorically. Now, Dorshe is from Darash, from which we get Midrash, which is the the, the, the method of going down into the depth of meaning, right? Get, getting below the top literal meaning down into the depth of it, all right? And Reshumot, I think, I'm not sure, I'm convinced about Dorshe coming from Darash. I'm convinced of that. Reshumot may come from Yarash, meaning to inherit by possessing. So these Dorshe Reshumot were possessing the, the inner deep depth meaning of Scripture and pulling up to see what it means, all right? Now, Feldman finds evidence of the Dorshe Reshumot in a Jewish work called the Mechilta. In English, we say Mechilta, which is a collection of rules of interpretation. It's not in the Talmud. It's outside of the Talmud. But anyway, he finds evidence for the Dorshe Reshumot. Now, that's not enough to draw a conclusion. But another source for evidence of ancient allegory is in the works of Philo. Philo was a Jewish contemporary of Paul who lived in Alexandria, Egypt, who wrote allegorically about the Hebrew scriptures. By allegory, Philo tells us that allegory means the inward sense of the passage. Philo contrasts this allegorical interpretation to the literal meaning. Now, he calls the literal meaning the plain letter that requires no explanation. You should know what the literal meaning is telling you. But there is also this inner meaning that requires work. The author is not going to interpret it for you. The author is going to give you this allegory and you have to do the work to dig up the meaning, the interpretation. According to Philo, a scriptural passage could have two meanings as he explains when he says this sentence also signifies. So he's showing that the passage can have a literal meaning, which he calls the plain letter, and then it can have this allegorical meaning, which is deep down below. Philo's purpose in using allegory was compatible with that of Paul, because he used the allegorical method to elicit deeper meaning from the Hebrew scriptures than the literal interpretation can offer. Philo also uses, now this was very interesting, when I discovered this, this was really interesting, he uses 
similar literary devices, just like I saw in Paul. For example, Philo introduces startling metaphors. Now, a metaphor is a symbol. Something is like something, but it's done with no no meaning. Um, God is a mighty fortress. Well, God is not a mighty fortress. It's a metaphor. It's a simile. Something is like something without any association to it. I mean, you have to get to the deeper meaning. You have to understand that God will protect you. That's what it is. But it's it's a simile. Something is like something without a literal connection. So uh, Philo introduces startling metaphors that use unexpected associations. That's what a, a metaphor is, which are not clearly identified in scripture. It's strange. It's puzzling. And you, and you have to do some work to get to the meaning. Philo says, for example, that heaven is the mind and the earth is sensation. Now that you can't connect that with anything in scripture. Now, Philo goes on to explain that he is speaking allegorically, but he doesn't give you, he doesn't tell you the meaning of it. He's speaking allegorically, but you're supposed to to figure out the meaning. Now, this is similar to Paul's statement when he says, this is allegorically speaking, Hagar, 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 is Mount Sinai. Well, there's nothing in Scripture to connect Hagar with Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where God gave the law to the Jews. And, And then... These women, Hagar and Sarah, are two different covenants. So Hagar represents the Sinai covenant and Sarah represents a new covenant. If taken literally, Hagar represents the Jews and and the law. And Paul then cites from Genesis to tell us, now listen to this, cast out the bondwoman and her son, which is, this is the Jews, this, if you take it literally, it's anti-Semitic, and it has been taken literally for centuries by Christian theologians and preachers and teachers. So if taken literally, Hagar represents the Jews, and Paul then cites from Genesis to tell us to cast out the bondwoman and her son. However, there's nothing in Scripture that associates Hagar with Mount Sinai or Hagar and Sarah with two covenants. Paul has just told us that he is speaking allegorically, which means that there's some kind of deeper meaning that is not the literal understanding of this passage. Now, there's a second literary device used by both Philo and Paul, and I want to draw your attention to this because I I think it's really critical that you understand these things. Philo explains that speaking in an allegorical manner is a kind of abuse of language. Well, we just heard that in Paul's allegory... (laughs) You know, Paul abused the language because, you know, he was saying things that you can't take literally. He was abusing the language. Philo goes on to explain that the purpose of such abuse, now listen carefully, is to stimulate surprise. This abuse of language is to act as markers that will lead you to different aspects of meaning. Now, this abusive technique is powerfully apparent in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And Paul is not going to tell us what it means. If you're a disciple, you're a dedicated follower of Yeshua, and you are expected to do the work to find out what it means. Now, we've lost this ability. You know, over 2,000 years, um, Christian theologians have not, they haven't really understood this. This is Paul's allegory. Paul also uses methods of Midrash, which I'll explain in in later podcasts. 
So it's, it's hard for us to understand. And, and that's what the purpose of this series of podcasts is, is to give you the tools so that you can roll up your sleeves and go in and understand the depth of meaning that Paul is leading us to. So when I was trying to perceive the markers in, that followed Paul in Galatians 4.24, when he says, I speak these things allegorically, I hit on the word inheritance. Because Paul declares, by citing from Genesis, the son of the bondwoman, that's Ishmael, shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman, who's Sarah. Now, why is this startling? They don't descend from Hagar. They descend from Sarah. So Paul has just told us something that is not true. It's contrary to Scripture. And in fact, Gentile believers in Christ descend from Hagar. They don't descend from Sarah. They descend from Hagar. So I asked myself, what in heaven's name does the Bible say about the inheritance of Israel? I had never thought that Israel had an inheritance. I know that we as believers in Christ have an inheritance, which is to be, you know, the promise of future eternal life with God. We call it being saved. But it never occurred to me that the people of Israel, who may or may not be believing in Yeshua, have an inheritance. Needless to say, I was, I was really surprised by this whole thought. I'm going to share with you more on Israel's inheritance in later podcasts. So, but now, let me, let me summarize. One allegorical technique uses a word or concept to mean another word or concept in a very puzzling way that has no clear meaning. And the other technique here is that these puzzling things are markers, markers that lead us in, into the Hebrew Scriptures because the New Testament hadn't been written. They're markers leading us into the Hebrew Scriptures. You've got to know the Hebrew Scriptures <laughs> because... That's the only way you're going to figure out this puzzling thing, this startling thing. In fact, Paul, now, now listen, in, in this passage in Galatians, Paul employs startling metaphors that have no apparent meaning five times in three verses. And, and this is about Hagar, Sarah, and inheritance. As an allegorical device, the plain meaning of the words is not what Paul intends, and that has been what Christianity has been doing for the last 2,000 years. They've been either taking the literal meaning or they've been with jumping to conclusions. And when they jump over and draw a conclusion, they call it theology, which is doctrinal theology is in 45,000 different denominations. This is just an introduction to a series of podcasts that I'm going to do on the Apostle Paul. In the next one, I'm not going to dig in yet. I want you to get to know Paul the way I have gotten to know Paul. I want you to know who he is, and what I want you to get into the inner part of his mind, and you're only going to be able to do that if I kind of tell you the story about Paul. Who, who is he, and what, what was his journey, and, and, and how, was, how was he treated by other Christians in his time, and and how was he being treated by the Jewish believers in his time? And what did he do to get into the depth of meaning? And, and how long did it take him? And, you know, I'm going to take you back to Tarsus. You know, I, I was very blessed when I was in Turkey to see where Paul uh, grew up. And I'm going to share that with you in the next podcast, because I really want you to become intimately familiar with Paul as a person. So with that, I will wish you be shalom in peace. And I will hopefully meet you again in the next podcast.